Hello, and welcome to the QUB GP Society podcast. This series is entitled Common Conditions in General Practice and is aimed at medical students. We will be discussing some of the most common conditions that you see in a primary care setting in terms of their pathology, presentation, diagnosis and management. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so that you can see all of our latest episodes and also check out our society on social media so that you can keep up to date with news and events. But for now, on to today's episode. My name is Radhika Galati and I'm the Education Officer of the Queen's University Belfast GP Society. Thank you for joining today's podcast and today's subject will be depression. Before we start, I want to take a moment to highlight that the topic of this episode may be difficult for listeners suffering with depression or other similar mental health conditions. This year, in particular, has been a very stressful year for everybody, and as healthcare professionals, we are not immune to the mental health problems we commonly treat. If you are suffering from depression or any other mental health condition, please talk to somebody and seek help from your GP. Other organisations that you might find useful include Samaritans, Doctors in Distress and the BMA. Depression is a common psychiatric condition encountered in primary care, affecting around 4.5% of patients in the UK. It is not completely certain what causes depression, but is likely to be the product of a complex interaction between biological, psychological and social factors. From a biological perspective, the monoamine deficiency theory predicts that depression is due to the depletion of serotonin, norepinephrine and dopamine in the brain. These neurotransmitters play an important role in regulating mood, attention and pleasure. A lot of factors can predispose a patient to having low levels of these chemicals in the brain, including genetics, ageing, physical illness and head injuries. As well as the biological basis of depression, psychological factors can predispose a patient to depression and these include things like adverse childhood experiences and personality factors. Lastly, social factors play an important role. For example, if a patient experienced divorce, homelessness or poverty, this understandably increases their risk of depression. The diagnosis of depression is a clinical one and the diagnostic criteria is outlined in the 10th edition of the International Classification of Diseases. In this criteria, there are three core features of depression, of which two have to be present for the diagnosis. These core features are low mood, a reduction in energy and anhedonia. These symptoms need to be present for most days, for at least two weeks. Patients with depression may also experience cognitive symptoms such as poor concentration, memory issues, low self-esteem and recurrent thoughts of self-harm and suicide. Lastly, there may be physical symptoms with depression such as weight loss, early morning awakening and loss of libido. In mild depression, the patient needs to have at least two core symptoms with at least two cognitive symptoms. 
In moderate depression, the patient has two core symptoms with at least three cognitive symptoms. Lastly, in severe depression, the patient has all three core symptoms and at least five cognitive symptoms. In all cases, these symptoms may be with or without the physical symptoms of depression. Moreover, in severe depression, psychotic symptoms may occur. These may include delusions, which relate to worthlessness, guilt, and in severe cases, patients may even think that part of them does not exist or is rotting away. Hallucinations may also occur, and these may be present, such as defamatory voices or unpleasant smells. Lastly, in severe cases, catatonia can occur, where there is psychomotor immobility. The next section will focus on the management of depression and was written with guidelines from the National Institute of Health and Care Excellence. The majority of depression is managed in the primary care setting, with cases being managed only in psychiatry if they are treatment resistant, there is a significant risk of suicide, psychotic symptoms, or the patient requires specialist management options. In the primary care setting, regardless of the severity of depression, the management of depression should be holistic, addressing the biological, psychological and social contributing factors to depression. Starting with mild depression, treatment largely focuses on the latter two. For example, patients are offered low-intensity psychological therapies such as computerised CBT to help address negative cognitions associated with depression. GPs also play an important role in supporting and signposting patients to resources to address social stresses. For example, GPs can provide fit notes to patients who require time off work. These patients should be actively reviewed and if these measures do not work or the patient develops moderate or severe depression, it's important to promptly start antidepressants. Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors are the first-line antidepressants used in most cases. They include medications such as citalopram, sertraline and fluoxetine and these medications work by blocking the serotonin transporter in the presynaptic membrane. SSRIs are often started at a low dose and then built up over time depending on the patient's response. The benefits of SSRIs are often not seen until at least two to four weeks in and once the benefit of the medication is seen, SSRIs should be continued for at least six months to reduce the risk of relapse. It's important to warn patients to not suddenly stop their SSRIs, even if they feel better, as this can lead to discontinuation symptoms, such as mood changes, diarrhea, flu-like symptoms, and insomnia. If a patient does want to come off their medication, this should be done over the course of four weeks to minimise these symptoms. Despite being very effective medications, there are some side effects of SSRIs. Common side effects include nausea and vomiting, diarrhea, insomnia, and sexual problems, for example, a reduced libido. Moreover, in select patients, SSRIs can lead to an increased risk of bleeding and hyponatremia. In the first few weeks of starting an SSRI, the patient may also realise they are more irritable, agitated and impulsive. 
This is thought to contribute to the increased risk of suicide that's associated with SSRIs in the early stages before the benefits of the medications are seen. As a result, patients should be reviewed in one to two weeks after starting SSRIs to see how they are doing. The next group of antidepressants used are selective noradrenaline reuptake inhibitors. Medications in these class of drugs include venlafaxine and duloxetine. These medications work by blocking the serotonin and norepinephrine transporter and increasing the availability of these neurotransmitters for the postsynaptic receptors. The side effects are similar to SSRIs, however, they are also known to raise heart rate and blood pressure. More rarely, tricyclic antidepressants, such as amitriptyline, are used. These are very effective medications, however, they tend to be avoided because in overdose, these medications can unfortunately be fatal. Side effects of tricyclic antidepressants include sedation, dry mouth, constipation, dizziness and confusion. Lastly, monoamine oxidase inhibitors can be used. These medications work by inhibiting the activity of monoamine oxidase and preventing the breakdown of neurotransmitters in the brain involved in depression. The important side effect with this medication is the tyramine cheese reaction. As well as depression, monoamine oxidase plays an important role in metabolizing tyramine. As a result, if this enzyme is blocked, foods rich in tyramine, such as cheese, red wine and soy products, are unable to be properly broken down and this simulates adrenergic receptors. This leads to dangerous cardiovascular problems, such as high blood pressure, arrhythmias, seizures and stroke. Other miscellaneous antidepressants include bupropion, which is associated with fewer sexual side effects than SSRIs, and metazapine, which may be useful if the patient also has a low appetite and weight loss. For severe depression, electric convulsive therapy may be used as an emergency measure to improve mood in the short term. It works by providing a low amplitude electrical current to produce a generalised seizure under general anaesthetic. It's an extremely effective treatment and it's only carried out in secondary care. However, there are important side effects GPs must know about. These side effects may include headache, nausea, cardiac arrhythmias, retrograde amnesia and myalgia. In a handful of cases, the memory impairment may be more persistent. However, this is rare. Lastly, whenever an individual presents with depressive symptoms, it is critical to always assess for risk, including the risk that they pose to themselves and the risk they pose to others. You should ask if they've had any thoughts of harming themselves, others, and assess whether they care for anybody, including children. Individual factors that may increase their risk of suicide include being male, middle-aged, unemployed, and recent adverse life events, among others. Clinical factors that are associated with an increased risk include a history of self-harm, physical illness, psychiatric illness, among others. Nonetheless, risk stratification for suicide is known to have a low positive predictive value 
and therefore all patients should be monitored for this. As GPs, we are privileged to form close relationships with our patients and sometimes a gut feeling is better than any predictive tool in itself. In summary, depression is a commonly encountered condition seen in primary care and is particularly common in older patients, patients with other physical illnesses and patients who experience adverse life events, among others. Depression is characterised by the presence of three core symptoms, a low mood, low energy and anhedonia, and other cognitive and physical symptoms tend to occur alongside these. The treatment of depression should always be holistic, addressing the biological, psychological and social roots of this condition. Generally, SSRIs are the first-line pharmacological management option, however, a range of other agents exist. Lastly, all patients presenting with depression and other mental health disorders should be assessed for their risk of suicide. We hope that you have found today's episode useful, and if you find you're experiencing similar issues to the ones we have discussed today, we urge you to speak to somebody or seek help from your GP. Saying that, we hope you have enjoyed today's podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss out on any future episodes. If you have any ideas, suggestions or feedback, don't be afraid to get in touch with us via email gp-soc at qub.ac.uk. Our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram accounts are regularly updated with all the essential information from our society. Thank you for listening and goodbye.